Uh, we are in an Advent teaching series. Uh, I love Advent. Uh, Advent means nine months pregnant. It means, uh, it means expectation. It means excitement. And uh, Advent, uh, the, the church calendar begins with the season of Advent. It doesn't begin January 1, but it, it begins the first Sunday in December. And, and it is, I think it's such an important season because as we look back at Christ's birth, Advent reminds us to keep looking forward to to the God who was and is and is to come. And with Advent comes all of the power of the new. Almost that resurrection power is Advent power. Advent is perfect for any of you needing a new start. Advent says there is new coming. It's the power of new life and fresh starts. And so I invite you as we are in this Advent season to wait and to watch. Jesus says like a watchman, like, like the night watch guy Be awake for me, and I encourage you to sharpen your senses for the kingdom of God. The hint is that it's coming right on the dawn, like like it's it's right there. It's the last week in our teaching series. The the real challenge to you last week was to be here now, and and that's actually a a bigger challenge than it sounds because some of you aren't, aren't even here right now. Like, you're already thinking about gifts and shopping and traffic on the way home, and you know what I'm saying? Like, so the challenge was to be here now because if we're going to advent, if we're, we actually have to be in this space. And, and, and I challenged you last week to find some hiding places. I even gave you some clues of uh, 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 St. Paul's Episcopal in downtown Franklin where the doors are never closed. Here's a great place for you to go and to calm and quiet yourself. Psalm 151, right? Like in the arms of God, go and be calm and quiet. Find a place of silence and solitude, and close your consciousness to anything and everything else. I had a friend this week, he came to me and he said, man, so many people are all exhaust and no intake. Is that you? So he challenged me to be calm and quiet and still. I want to share some quotes with you from, uh, from Henry Nouwen about this this, this, this positioning yourself in stillness and silence and solitude. Now one says that solitude is the furnace of transformation. And without solitude, we remain victims to our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of our false self. What do you think? Is that true? Take a look at this next one. Solitude is the place of purification and transformation the place of great struggle and the great, what's that word? Encounter. So as I sent you to hiding places to be still and quiet, really I want to send you to a place of encounter. Nobody does encounters better than Disney World. Um, Disney World, I think, uh, used to all be about the rides, right? Like the roller coasters or it's a small world or I don't know. You know, like it used to be all about the rides. But if you go to Disney today, they have this new thing. Uh, They call them character encounters or princess encounters, right? So uh, where before you used to wait in line to get on a ride or see a show or see an attraction, now you wait in line to sit with a Disney princess and have your picture taken. Uh, it, you're, some of you are going, no, I, yes, yes, 
Uh, a few years ago when we took our daughter to Disney World, more than any of the rides, we waited for character encounters. We got fast passes to see Disney princesses in person. This is a real thing. This is, uh, my daughter actually, she, she took a, uh, like a pillowcase and had every princess, every character sign it because there was something about sitting with, with Ariel or Belle or... I don't know the rest. Merida is my favorite one. Have you guys ever seen Brave? That's the best Disney movie ever, if you haven't seen that one. It's the best. Um, but you see kids just lined up, stacked up, just to spend a few moments with a princess. And what was funny is that after, these, after this experience with whatever princess, and my daughter always showed up with a question, you know, all for, try to catch them off guard, you know, like try to, try to throw them off guard. And so after meeting this princess, my daughter became an expert on each one she met, right? Because of this, this encounter with this princess, now she becomes an authority on all things, this princess. And so it was able to speak from... the memorial and, and service and tribute to the late President Bush. How many of you watched that this week? All right, so here's, here's a really interesting question. I thought I'd throw it out there. Have any of you ever, did any of you ever meet the late President Bush? Anyone in here ever personally meet him? Oh, man, I figured there'd be at least one. All right. But as you watch this, uh, this memorial and, and tribute to him, like, I, I, think, I think the stories that, that meant the most came from people who weren't just, like, acquaintances or heard about him, but the stories that meant the most were people who had personally met the president, right? Uh, one of the, I love the stories about how gracious he was. Uh, it's still pretty amazing to me that, you know, we, we closed down our market that day. The market was closed. That's very anti-American. You know what I'm saying? Like, the market is the market. We got to keep this thing going. But we close the market. I mean, that, that's a pretty powerful statement for this guy. And I love the people who actually knew him. Because when they spoke, they spoke from experience, from personal encounters they had. Uh, so I want to tell you the most, uh, the most Christmassy story ever. If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke 19. It's another story of an encounter. Uh, it's a Christmas story of a man named Zacchaeus. You guys remember this Christmas story? Yeah, I didn't either. We'll put the words on the screen. I just want to read this story to you, and we'll spend a few minutes here. In Luke uh, chapter 19, beginning verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was a wee little man, too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You guys know this story? You love this story? I do too. Zacchaeus is the, is the chief tax collector, which is saying like he's the leader of betrayal and treachery in the area. Like it was bad enough to be a tax collector, but Zacchaeus is, is the tax collector of tax collectors, right? Like he's, all the tax collectors work for him. And that's a huge betrayal because tax collectors work for the Roman government. And so they, they use these guys who, who basically contracted out with the Roman government to tax their own people, right? And the thing about uh, tax collectors is that uh, nobody really knew how much the tax actually was. So the tax wasn't published. The tax was agreed upon between Zacchaeus and the Roman government, right? So if the tax was 10 denarii or 20 denarii or whatever it was, that was kept between Zacchaeus and the Roman government, which gave Zacchaeus the opportunity to do what? Yeah, charge whatever he wanted. And they did, right? And so as the chief of betrayal and treachery, uh, Zacchaeus was disliked. Um, So imagine this scene. Jesus is coming through. Zacchaeus, a wee little man. I was going to have somebody stand up in here who was short like that, but I'm not going to do that because that would just be mean. But this may be the most disliked guy in that community is, is along a parade route, jockeying for position to see Jesus. Now, imagine how much fun the crowd had blocking his view. Right? If you see this wee little guy trying to get through, you're just going to move kind of this way. And, and you know what? Even as you kind of move in front of him, it's probably a good opportunity to give him a little uh, nudge or a bump or a kick. Right? I'm sure they were very sorry for the elbow as they jostled him out of the way. They loved blocking the view of this scrawny scoundrel. So Zacchaeus did what no one else would do or had to do. He climbed a tree. It's very unbecoming of the chief tax collector, the richest guy in the area, right? And then something amazing happens. Jesus comes by and he's paying attention to the widows and the orphans and the poor and the sick 
and the children. And he gazes up. And we don't know how he knows his name, but he knows his name. I guess he knows the hairs on his head, so his name's not that hard. He gazes up and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and the newborn king calls him by name. What was the sound from the crowd when that happened? I mean, they were ready for him to be chastised and criticized and, yeah, and put down. And, you know, it was, man, that's a, that's a good opportunity for some old hellfire and damnation preaching, right? And that's not what happens. The newborn king calls Zacchaeus by name and says, come quick. Today, I must be in your house. Now, I don't, I don't know if I can express to you how, like, taboo this was. I mean, legally in the, in the Jewish mind, it, it's, it's forbidden to mingle with sinners. They, they are outside the law. Um, uh, not, not to mention just we don't talk to them, we don't mingle with them, but, but table fellowship with, with beggars or tax collectors or prostitutes was, was religiously and socially and, and culturally taboo. There was a separation. There was a, a big divide between those people and the people of God. Maybe you've experienced some of this divide before. Man, we, we have these kind of social divisions that happen sometimes. Uh, maybe it happens between alcoholics or, or, or smokers. You know, if I said, okay, everybody stand up who's ever smoked, or maybe you're a smoker, go stand on that side of the room, and everybody who's not a smoker, go stand on that side of the room. Like, that would feel weird, right? But that's exactly how it felt. Like, like he was on the outside. Obvious separation. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. You know, uh, I wonder if, if this idea of sharing a meal with someone is lost on us today. Um, at least in the Near East and Orthodox tradition today, is to share a meal with someone is, is a big deal. It's, it's a guarantee of peace. Like if we have a meal together, there's, there's peace between us. If we have a meal together, then there's, there's some sort of trust and fraternity between us. If we share a meal together, there's even forgiveness. You know, uh, in, in Orthodox tradition, a shared table symbolized a shared life. And when Jesus said, come quick, I must be in your house today. Like, uh, I would like to have dinner with you. What Jesus is saying and what Zacchaeus hears is that I would like to enter friendship with you. And all of the good religious folks gasp. Because we are not friends with sinners. 
And maybe some of you have experienced this in, in church life, and I hate when this happens, and sometimes people still see churches as the, these like incredibly judgmental places where just the perfect people go. And if you know somebody that's thinking that way, or if you ever catch us acting that way, like just loosen your halo a little bit, okay? Right? Is that fair? Is that a nice way to say it? Because that is not the attitude of Christ. Zacchaeus heard an invitation to friendship. I love what uh, one commentator said. I, I just want to read it to you. I think it's just so perfect and profound. He says, it would be impossible to overestimate the impact of the, these meals must have had upon the poor and the sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus had taken away their shame, humiliation, and guilt. By showing them that they mattered to him as people, he gave them a sense of dignity and released them from their own captivity. I love that. The physical contact which he must have had with them at table and which he obviously never dreamed of disallowing must have made them feel clean and acceptable. Moreover, because Jesus was looked upon as a man of God and a prophet, they would have interpreted his gesture as, of friendship as God's approval of them. They were now acceptable to God's approval of them. Their sinfulness, ignorance, and uncleanness had been overlooked and were no longer being held against them. You see the power of what Jesus does? Like, and, and I love this scene too. Like, do, you, do you see that before, Zacchaeus ever, before Jesus ever calls Zacchaeus to repentance or forgiveness, do you see that Jesus calls him to friendship? You see that? He said, today I want to be your friend. And don't, don't miss Zacchaeus' response to that, right? What is Zacchaeus' response? This out, outflowing of generosity, half of what I have is now going to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times. And that was because of Jesus' great hellfire and damnation preaching and holding his thumb on top of him about all the horrible wrong things he's done, Right? No, it came out of an invitation to friendship. From friendship comes generosity and repentance and new life. And I bet if you ask Zacchaeus today, man, tell us about this Jesus that you know. He didn't tell the story about a child born in a manger somewhere, right? He shared a story of his personal encounter with the newborn king. Like, like your encounter with Jesus is what really matters. Uh, I, I love that, uh, to kind of emphasize this point, Jesus at one point in time, he asked his disciples, he asked his, he asks his followers, who do you say that I am? He knows what everybody else is saying, but he, has, he looks them in the eye and says, who do you say that I am? And this is an intensely personal question. 
And, and what I would say is that no one else can answer. I, th- I think that question is put to everyone who calls on Jesus Christ, who wants to submit their life to him. Jesus turns and says, who do you say that I am? And, and the point is, no one else can answer that question for you. You must answer for yourself. Jesus' disciples had to answer, and, and I think so must we. And here's my fear. Can I share my fear with you? My fear is that we will be able to quote every single line of our favorite Christmas movie. Like how many of you can quote every line from Elf right now, if I asked you, right? Like my fear is that we'll be able to quote every line of our favorite Christmas movie, but when Jesus looks us in the eye and says, who do you say I am? We may be left searching for an answer. And in my heart, I say, I say, danger, danger, danger. You see, uh, I think no one wants to hear about the God you have heard about or been taught to believe exists. I think what matters most is your personal encounter. And that's hard for me to say because I'd love to say, you know, these 10 sermons from this past year really, that would be it. But your personal encounter is what's really important. That's what I pray for for our our teenagers here at this church. So experiential, right? Isn't that what you pray for your kids? Man, I I would love for them to hear all my my greatest hits, right? And I'd love for them to fall in love with the same amazing worship Christmas music that we have. But really what they need is an encounter with Jesus. I was talking to somebody this morning about uh, when we had gone on an Ecuador trip before we took a mission team. This is one of the great things that happens on mission teams. Like kind of has a way of stripping everything else away. And, And especially young people, I think they come into this incredible encounter with the living God that's active in all of these other places beyond here. You see, I think without a Brennan Manning, uh, this is a Brennan Manning quote. He says, without a personal encounter on the grounds of our own self, we become unconnected and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we have never visited. Oh, right. Did you feel that like I felt that? unconnected and unpersuasive travel agents hawking a brochure about somebody that we've never really trusted with our own life. Philosopher Jacques Martian, he says this. He says, the culmination of knowledge is not conceptual, but experiential. And then he said three profound words. He said, I feel God. It's the sum of what the psalmist says in Psalm 4610. When he says, you already know this, when he says, be still 
and know that I am God. What he says, what no, be still and like know in your head, know in a textbook, know in a teaching. No, he says, know from experience. Be still. That's why last week, find that quiet hiding place. Be, be still and experience him for yourself. Like, I, I think that's the season of Advent. I think that's the Christmas that we're kind of searching for in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle, right? A deep encounter with God. Here's what I would tell you. The invitation that Jesus extended to Zacchaeus, he extends to you today. Do you believe that? I believe that he knows your name, that he is calling you by name, and he's not waiting necessarily for you to invite him in, but he is inviting himself already into your kitchen. (laughs) In fact, we're going to experience a little bit of that in just a minute as I send you to a time of communion, right? Meal for him, but meal with him. And you'll see in just a minute the elements are on the tables around the room and I'll pray and I'll send you and if you want a little bit more of an explanation you can look at our bulletin. But this is an encounter. Right? Jesus is calling you and inviting you in. He's inviting you to join him. The invitation continues. It's true that that some encounter Jesus in a manger, but far more are and have and continue to encounter them in their own home. The good news is that encounters with the newborn king continue still. After all, he is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we sang just a minute ago, right? I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Here's my invitation. In the same way he called Zacchaeus, he calls out to us today. He calls out um, despite your sin and shame, he's not really concerned about what you've done or, or, or what you haven't done. He calls out to you as his own, as his child. He knows your name. And he calls out to you, he calls out to, uh, to you with an invitation to fellowship and friendship. Right now, today, do you believe that? Right now, today, even in this space, Jesus is calling you, inviting himself into your life, into your home, and into your heart. Will you let him in? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and for its power. I pray that this word, God, through the power of your spirit would, would do its work on us, uh, that, it, that it would penetrate the deep and hidden places of our heart. God, I pray for, for 
close encounters with you, up close and personal. Father God, I pray that our our days and our weeks would be characterized not just by words on a page, but the experience of your goodness and holiness and forgiveness. Father God, this, this Christmas, I pray that the God who has come will come and will continue to come. God, I pray for our teens and for those who are searching, for those those who don't know you. God, I pray that, that we would love them and that in your name we would extend to them an invitation of friendship, that we would move as friends into our, into our, our neighbors' homes and neighborhoods. And Father God, let them experience your goodness and your truth and, and let that experience of you bring out of each of us a real, true generosity. Father God, don't, don't let us be unconcerned, uninterested. But Father God, let us speak from our own hearts. And, and God, right now, just we invite you in, even as we enter into this time of communion, <laughs> which is exactly what it means. Let that, let that real thing happen. Surround us now. Give us a, a heightened consciousness to your kingdom and to your presence. Father God, we thank you for your friendship and overwhelming